Good morning. Welcome to all those who are joining us in the sanctuary and online today as we enter into this holy week. Today we're diving into the Palm Sunday story as told in the Gospel of John. So if you'd like to use a Bible today, in a moment our ushers will be bringing forward Bibles to hand out that you can use this morning. The Palm Sunday story is found in John chapter 12 on page 1574 of your Quest Bible. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, people met him shouting, Hosanna! And Hosanna means, Lord, save. It's a request, but it's also an exclamation that you believe that the one who can save you is right here in front of you, that saving hope has arrived. But what does that mean for you today? Because there were a whole lot of people in that crowd, and they all saw Jesus. They saw different things in Jesus. Some of them saw Jesus as the Messiah from God. Some of them saw him as a savior for the people or as a prophet or a king. And some of them saw him as a fraud or as a threat. So how about you? If Jesus were to walk into this place right now and walk up to you, how would you respond to him? Because it's one thing to hear about Jesus, and it's another thing to know who he is to you. And that's the kind of day Palm Sunday was. That the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, everyone knew that this question that had been simmering for the past three years, who is he, would finally get answered. And in each of these responses that the people show, they show us what they believed that answer would be. Some people were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And for those who were in the crowd who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus back to life a couple of days before, they came expecting fireworks. Because those who had come in the name of the Lord in the past, those prophets and miracle workers like Elijah and Elisha, they shook things up with some pretty amazing power. So in Jesus, this generation was seeing things they'd only read about in the prophets before, and it sure looked like God to them. So they cheer for a man who they know has power. Hey, I'm with him. And they're expecting to see Jesus use that power. They don't want to miss the show. So they grab palm branches, and they call out, Hosanna, Lord, save. What you did for Lazarus, Jesus, do it again. But do it now for us. Do it for our nation, our city, our future, for everything that seems dead in our lives, Jesus. Come on in, save it all. Pour out your power. Raise it all back to life right now. If you were in the crowd at that moment, what would you expect to see Jesus do? What would you hope? But the next time that crowd sees Jesus, he's in chains, bloody and wounded and wearing a crown, of thorns. And they asked themselves, where are the fireworks that make the rulers of the earth stand up and take notice? Where's the Moses-like, let my people go? How can this man come in the name of the Lord? Have you ever noticed that people are at their most dangerous when they're disappointed? And just like that, their cry of, Hosanna, Lord, save us, turns to crucify him. They demand that he die. And they ask for Barabbas, a mob-inducing murderer, instead. Give us someone who will make some waves. Even if it leads to violence and death, at least we'll see something happen before we die. Hosanna, save us, they'd cried. But what did they mean by that? What do we really think the saving was that they wanted? 
We have such a small imagination when it comes to the things of God, don't we? How quick we are to write off God as absent or doing nothing when we don't see him doing what we demand of him. And when we pray, Lord, save us, do we trust that God knows what we need saving from? How many times in our impatience do we choose the wrong action that we can see over the call to wait on the Lord for what is right? What's the real enemy of the good in our lives in a moment like that? Scripture tells us the Lord's ways are not our ways. And when God is at work, we very rarely see the answer look exactly like what we'd expect. And when we ask, Lord, save, do we really want one who comes in the name of the Lord? Or do we really want one who comes in the name of us? Because in, in the end, the one who came in the name of the Lord was the one they rejected, in favor of the one who operated in the violent, self-serving ways of the world. What do we mean with our hosannas? Now, others in the crowd meet Jesus by giving him a title. They say, blessed is the king of Israel, which, of course, is a political statement because Israel already had a king. His name was Herod. So these are some politically charged words, like the beginning of a coup. Because in this moment, here's this group with their own agendas proclaiming, Jesus is our candidate, Jesus for king. And if they wanted him as king, what would they expect from him? To politically put them back on top with a new David who would rule in their interests. So to some, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was a perfect opportunity for a political rally for a savior that they expected to take on Rome. But when Jesus stood before Pilate as a king in chains, he was very clear he didn't see himself in any way in competition with Pilate. His kingdom is not of this world. And later, when King Herod demanded that Jesus show him the signs that he had heard made Jesus a threat to his power, Jesus wouldn't even respond to him because Jesus is no political candidate. He's not the servant of any nation or worldly agenda. His work is not to lift any one group above another. His work is to draw all hearts to himself. And it was meant to be a bit of an insult to that failed agenda to make Jesus king when the sign was placed on his cross, this is the king of the Jews. But he really was, and he is so much more. When the national zealots cried out, Lord, save us, they came expecting Jesus to be a ruler who would champion their own interests. But that only shows us they clearly hadn't been paying attention to Jesus' campaign. Because this is a king who commands, turn the other cheek. This is a king who says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. This is a king who teaches the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And the prophet Zechariah prophesied this moment of the king arriving in Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And in Zechariah 9.10, he says of this king, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king comes for a bigger kind of rule than those who are calling for his kingship could possibly imagine. So do you know what it means for Jesus to be your king? When we pray, Lord, save, are we really asking Jesus to be the king who puts us on top? 
who validates us by telling everyone how right we are and how wrong they are? When we call Jesus king, do we miss how radically different his kingdom rule is than any of this world? What do we really need saving from? These people came demanding a king, but in the end, they chose their own rule of life. What does it look like for Jesus to be king of our lives? What do you mean by your Hosanna? But out of all these people, though, it's actually the reaction of those who aren't shouting, Lord, save it all, that I find the most fascinating, because that was the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who were supposed to be looking for God's Messiah in the world, and who see Jesus coming into Jerusalem in this prophetic way, and the crowds reacting to him. And what do they say about Jesus? Nothing. Instead, in verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Isn't that interesting? Instead of asking, what is God showing us here about this Jesus? The question they ask is, where is this getting me? Really? I don't want to say this. I really don't, but I have to because the word of God is making me. How often is that our reaction to? When we see Jesus, the humble Savior, who has power, whose call is to show us to love and to serve, how often is our first question, well, where does that get me? I think the Pharisees actually show us the flawed human state more clearly than anyone in this story. Because the Pharisees are looking at a man who has miraculously healed and fed and forgiven and freed countless people around them, God-hearted things in spades. But what they see is only someone who might take influence away from them with the people. And when the Greeks come and ask to see Jesus, their worst fears are confirmed. The world is going after him, they say. Implied is, and not us. And so it begins. Fear for what they would lose leads to action. And they begin to put the plan in motion that will lead to Jesus' betrayal and his death. But if you know the rest of the story, what happens after the cross, actually it was this plan that got them nowhere. Because in the end, they didn't prevent the world from going after Jesus at all, did they? And I can say that 2,000 years later as I'm looking at a room full of people who are here because of this Jesus. But you can see what they were afraid of. I mean, if Jesus were any other human being, how would we expect him to react to this situation? What the zealot nationalists and the Lazarus fans and the prophets all cheer and the Pharisees fear is the exact same assumption that they're all making about what's going to happen next. That Jesus, surrounded by the swelling of support, would finally make his move and rise up and claim political, economic, religious, and ruling power. That he would forcefully replace those in power with his own better way. And the hopes and the fears of Palm Sunday are both in Jesus taking up his place in glory. And he does. But in the exact opposite way that any of them imagined. Now, if there was ever a moment where Jesus would be tempted to take the offer that Satan had given him at the temptation, bow before me and I will give you the nations of this world, all the power without any of the suffering of the cross, it would be this moment. 
because the Jesus hype is at an all-time high and his enemies are powerless against the support of the crowds. And Jesus could have, at that moment, stepped into the highest levels of human power if that's what he would have chosen. If he had turned away from the mission God gave him, he could have been the answer to all of the wants of that crowd. But that would have left them and us without what we truly need. And in this moment, when all of his supporters hope and all his enemies fear that he will grab for power, in response to a world rallying around him to raise him up as king, Jesus' response is, the time has come for me to die. John 12, 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he continues on in verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. See, at the very moment the world expects Jesus to step up, he steps down, way down, because that's what the glory of God looks like. To our cry of, Hosanna, Lord, save us, Jesus' answer is to step into glory, but not with the move to get himself the advantage, but the move of love opens the way for others, for you and for me to enter that glory with him, because this is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and this is what a true king looks like. Hebrews 9 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And in the old covenant, our sin equals death. But in this new covenant, Jesus takes on the price of our sin for us so that in him, our sin plus Jesus' death and resurrection equals our freedom and our forgiveness. And to our cry, Hosanna, Lord, save, this king chooses to answer, not with the saving we think we want, but with the one that we need. And that's why this Sunday, we need to move from the palms to the passion. Because if we were going to skip directly from this Sunday to next Sunday, from this Sunday's Hosanna, Lord, save us, to next Sunday, hallelujah, we're saved, we would be telling a story that didn't include any suffering or any cost, and that is not the story. That's not what happened. The truth is, there is no good news for us without a Good Friday. And it's what happened between the Hosanna and the Hallelujah that changed the world forever. And the story of our salvation isn't a pretty one. It's a story that shows the worst of humanity. It's a story of betrayal and brutality and blood. And it's a horrible, painful story. But it's also a story about the deepest kind of love, and we need to tell it because it shows us to what extent our Lord would go to restore us to himself, that he would rather die than live without you. And do you notice the turning point in this story? At the moment when the Greeks ask to see Jesus, the moment the Pharisees know they've got to do something because the world is going after him, Jesus, too, sees this as a sign of what is to come. But he doesn't see in it what his fans or what his enemies see. When those strangers from a different part of the world come and ask to know him, do you know what he sees? He sees you. And he sees me. 
He sees the opening up of the kingdom far beyond all the limits that those gathered around him could even imagine. He sees the kingdom open for us. And there's only one way that can happen, that he can be savior and king, not just for those in this moment, but for all who come. And that's not by stepping up, but down. And in this moment, in joy, and then in sorrow, and then in resolve, Jesus answers our cry, Lord, save us, by committing that he will by laying it all down for us. But this is no easy choice. It goes against every human instinct, every human desire for self-preservation or self-promotion, the things that drive most of us most of the time. And in choosing this, Jesus immediately admits that he feels the dread of what he's going to face, that he wrestles with wanting to ask to be spared from this at the very same time that he recognizes he's going to do it. Because this is the reason he came. Because you are the reason he came. And that joy and that dread and that determination all culminate in one prayer. Father, glorify your name. Not my will, but yours be done. And I don't know about you, but hearing that, hearing the pain of that choice Jesus is making makes me love him all the more. Because I couldn't relate to someone who would think facing a cross would be easy. And the courage that I admire most isn't the absence of fear, it's the commitment to act in spite of it. And Jesus didn't choose this path because it was in any way easy or beneficial to himself. He chose it in love to not do what's popular but what's needed. He chooses to be misunderstood and rejected and mocked and despised to accomplish not the saving we want but the one that we need. And at the foot of the cross, all that people had ever feared about Jesus, what he might do, and all that people had ever hoped about Jesus, who he might be on Palm Sunday, all of that seemed to end on the cross. And that's why they mock him. They say, Messiah, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. He saved others, but he can't save himself. And that was true. Because Jesus had to choose. If he was to save us, he could not save himself, because he is the Messiah, because he is the Son of God, Jesus will not come down from that cross, because he is the Lord who saves. And who is he to you? See, we can't tell a story that goes directly from Hosanna to Hallelujah, because Jesus can't be the Lord who saves without entering into the very things we need saving from. And his love isn't just surface deep for the times of flowers and sunshine in our lives. His love goes all the way to the bone, all the way to the cross. And through Jesus, there is no sin, no wrong, no trouble that can ever separate a heart that longs for God from him, either now or in eternity. In Christ, in the power of his blood proclaimed over you, your sin, your brokenness, your death are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are set free because this Savior came to save you, not just from the outside forces that annoy you, but from the very things that take you down from the inside, the enemy of your soul. He came to answer your cry, save us so we can find hope in achieving success, by instead giving us hope in his love regardless of anything we could ever achieve. He came to answer your cry, save us for the chance to find significance through power, with the assurance that you are eternally significant and you always will be because by his power, he called you his own. 
He came to answer our need for peace in this world by giving us a peace that passes all understanding and his presence with us through any situation. And this Savior comes to meet our, this is getting me nowhere attitude, with the truth is, there's nowhere you need to be, beloved. Nowhere but in his love. Because once you find yourself there, that's when the adventure can really begin. Because this story doesn't end at the cross. That's where it begins. It's not a pretty story, this story of Jesus saving work for us, but it's a powerful one that we can hold on to no matter what. Because even through this temptation to glory and even through the cross of shame, he chose to hold on to us. And because of that wondrous love, beyond Good Friday, there is a great hope for us. And this is the glory that Jesus saw, the glory of getting you there with him. And it's that heart in which God glories, that God looks at love like that and he says, that's my boy. The glory of God is not found in the grasping of power and the where is this getting me climbing of our lives. It's unleashed, it's unveiled and revealed in a love that goes low to lift up another because that's how God shows his kingly power for you and me. And that is what you will see in one who comes in the name of the Lord. So in this moment, I want to ask you, is that what you see in the Lord who comes for you today? And I want to ask you, if this is the Lord who comes for you, in whose name do you go to the world? Because this story isn't just about what we're saved from, it's also about what we're saved for. And the truest leader will be the first to step into a new future so that we can follow. And that's what King Jesus did. And when we reach out to others in love, that's when we begin to understand the kind of love our God has for us. When we begin to understand how a kingdom of love holds a greatness that no kingdom of power ever could. How do you think the world around us that's so full of fear and anger and striving for self will ever come to see Jesus' kingdom today? By us claiming power? By us lifting ourselves above others? It's what happened between the Hosanna and the Hallelujah through Jesus laying down his life in love that the world was changed forever. And between the world's cry for saving help and the love that they need, what will make the life-changing difference? Finding Jesus' love in you, in the place in between. So today, as we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, as we cry, Lord, save us, what is it you most need saving from? What keeps you from knowing and experiencing the life your God created you to live? Whatever it is, bring it today. Confess it to Jesus. Ask him for his power in you and for you. He'll meet you there. That's why he came. But then ask, as God's beloved one, what has he saved you for? What is a world that's going after Jesus, going after the glory of this kind of Lord look like? Lord, give us the courage to follow you first into being this kind of kingdom people until all the world goes after you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, today we raise our palms high in praise, but we also lay them at your feet, Lord, in honor of you, worshiping you, as you show us today that your glory is found in love that goes low. It's the love that shines your glory into the world. 
So Lord, today, this week, in honor of you, we pray that you would give us the opportunity to lift up someone around us in your love, in unexpected love. Give us the opportunity to surprise someone when they expect us to step up, to see us and said, step down, to lift them up. And may you be glorified. May your name be glorified, Lord, in that love. For it's in Jesus' name, the name of our Savior and our King, that we pray. Amen.